And I am sure glad that each one of you are here. And if you, wanna, if you would like to open your Bibles along with me to Numbers chapter 10. Numbers chapter 10. And I do have a few announcements to make. Uh, one thing, we need volunteers for VBS, Vacation Bible School. Vacation Bible School is such an awesome ministry because it not only ministers to the, to the children in our own fellowship, but children in the community. And it's a beautiful opportunity to encourage them in the Lord. And many of these young children come to faith. But the fact is, in order for VBS to operate, we need volunteers. There's a sign-up sheet on the board out there. And we have it in the evening, so people don't have to take off from work and this and that. But there's a sign-up sheet on the bulletin board. And right now, the only name on it is mine. And Nikki actually starts preparing... Uh, for VBS at the end of this month. It's not something you can just do overnight. So please sign up, volunteer for VBS. It's a beautiful way to serve the Lord. Also, there's a a shine-up sheet. A shine-up sheet. Also, there's a sign-up sheet for our adult dinner night out, and it's at Vito's Restaurant, 6 p.m. tomorrow night, Monday night. And Uh, I know not everyone can come, but it's a wonderful opportunity to gather together, to fellowship with one another. And when I say adult dinner night out, it doesn't exclude all you young people. It's anyone who's out of high school is welcome to come. So anyone can sign up for it. It's a a great opportunity to hang out together. And also, um, we're going to be having on the 28th of um, February, uh, that's this month, obviously, and a Friday night, we're going to be having just a time of... uh, discussion, question-answer discussion about things of the Bible. And uh, there's a sign-up sheet for that as well. You can bring something to share if you'd like. We'll meet downstairs around tables. And we're going to be answering questions and talking about the things of God. Maybe there's a question you have. And so write it out so you can read it off or put it in your head, whatever. But take advantage of it. It's going to be a a wonderful time. And I think that's all. um, Oh, and next week is our covered dish dinner, one of my favorites. And I really encourage you to come. It's just a great opportunity opportunity to be with other believers, with your church family, share a meal together. So consider that as well. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name and how thankful we are for your love that was so freely bestowed upon us. And as we look at the Old Testament, as we look at the moving of your tabernacle and the moving of the tribes of Israel... It's such a witness and encouragement to us to dutifully walk with you and to follow you decently and in order and to do the things that you command us to because there's nothing in this life that can even compare to what we have in eternal life. And so, Father, I pray that you would take what we study this morning and encourage it to our hearts and souls that we might follow you with all of our heart, with all of our life, with all of our strength, with all of our soul, with all of our being. Help us to be truly yours, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You know, we're going to look at this portion of Scripture in Numbers chapter uh, 10, I pick up in verse 11, and it's all about following the Lord, walking with the Lord. And you know, sometimes I don't know if we really take time to realize what God has done for us. You know, in Scripture where it says, and he took all of our sins upon himself. I think sometimes we just think of that as some kind of a ritualistic thing. He took 
all of our sin upon himself. Every filthy, rotten, scummy sin that has ever been committed, every sin you've ever committed, he took upon himself. And that's the only time, through all the suffering that he did, the only time Jesus cried out on the cross was at the time that our sin was placed upon him. And he said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was the first time that Jesus was separated from God because of our sin. And because all the sin, all the filthy sin of this world was laid upon him, there's only one sacrifice, his death. And right after he said that, he breathed his last. And he sacrificed himself for us. But because he was not only the Son of Man, but also the Son of God, death could not hold him. And on the third day, after he was laid in the tomb, he was in there three days and three nights, Jesus arose from the dead. And he arose from the dead bringing victory because your sin and my sin was paid for completely. And now in Jesus Christ we have victory and we can walk with him even in all of our imperfections. We can walk with him. We can march with him as the children of Israel. When he says, rise up, O Israel, and follow, we can do it. Because our sins have been forgiven. We're purified in him. Such a beautiful portion that we're going to be looking at this morning. In Numbers chapter 10. Now I'm not going to read the entire portion. Because I go all the way to uh, verse 36. Because a lot of it is just who was the head of this tribe. And what order this tribe was. And I'll give you the order uh, you know, in a little bit. But uh, just follow along with me. First in chapter uh, 10 verse 11. Now it came to pass on the 20th day of the second month. Notice what day it is, the 20th day of the second month. Take note of that. There's a reason for it. Do you know, it's so important for us to study the Scriptures. Study to show yourself approved, a work when correctly handling the word of truth, needing not be ashamed. It doesn't say, give it a cursory reading. It doesn't say, just read it. It says, study. Because there are things we miss if we don't study. You know, I don't think there's anything better when you're doing your Bible reading than to have a notebook. And you might even have a page that you, you have questions in maybe another page resolution. Because a lot, a lot of times as we read through, our questions are answered. But take note, it was the 20th day of the second month. Verse 12. Oh, okay. And the cloud, uh, the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle of the testimony. And the children of Israel set out from the wilderness of Sinai on their journeys. Then the clouds settled down in the wilderness of Paran. You know, it's interesting. Where they were leaving from Sinai, they had only crossed the, the, the river, the Jordan River, and not the Jordan, the um, Red, Red Sea, and they had only traveled 18 miles. After they passed through the waters of the Red Sea, fleeing from the Egyptians, they'd only gone in 18 miles to Sinai. But now God is telling them to pick up and move. They only go three miles. But you want to know something? Every step of our journey counts. They had one step closer to the promised land. Verse 13. So they started out for the first time according to the command of the Lord by the hand of Moses. The standard of the camp of the children of Judah was set out first according to their armies. Now move down to verse 17. Then the tabernacle, this right here, okay, we have a model of, 
the tabernacle was taken down, and the sons of Gershon, the sons of Merari, set out carrying the tabernacle. Now, understand that this tabernacle was like a temporary dwelling. It was set up like a tent. It was set up to be taken down. And I love what Pastor Frank was saying in the first service, that he, he's more impressed with the tabernacle than with Solomon's temple. Because the tabernacle is the only dwelling that, we, that God gave specific commands how to build. Solomon's temple, he was building it for the glory of God, but he, it doesn't say God told him to do this or that. He just kind of built what he thought would be a glorious temple. But the tabernacle was so beautiful, it could be taken down piece by piece. And one of the things that's interesting about the tabernacle is on the exterior, it's very plain. You know, these would be actual linen curtains, just curtains. These would be posts. And even if you look at the holy place, as you look at the tabernacle itself, very plain looking. But once you went inside, the glory of God shone. The boards on the inside were covered with pure gold, brushed, varnished, pure gold like mirrors. And then you had the menorah, which was, if you've ever seen the menorah, uh, in Israel we've been to the temple um, museum, and uh, they actually have all the articles for the third temple prepared. And Temple Institute it's called. But the menorah is actually like this. It's huge. And so when that menorah was lit, and the light reflected off the gold on the inside, that whole place would be bright. And you had the table of showbread, you had the altar of incense, and then when you passed through the inner curtain, you walked into the very presence of God at the Ark of the Covenant. The point is, on the outside, it seemed very plain. But on the inside, it was glorious. And it can be the same with us. Maybe on the outside, we look very plain. But on the inside, in our heart, in our cardiac, in our inner man, where the very Spirit of God dwells, it's beautiful. Because your soul has been redeemed by God. Of no cost of your own, all you had to do is accept it. Isn't that amazing? God is so good. Okay, now move down to verse 21. So anyway, um, we had uh, Mary and uh, Gershon are the ones that carry the tabernacle itself. Then in verse 21, then the Kohathites set out carrying the holy things. And the holy things, of course, it's not talking about the ark. We're going to find in a moment the ark itself led the procession. But all the holy things, you know, all the things that were necessary for sacrifice on the outside, and when the, the menorah, the table of showbread, the altar of incense, all of those holy things then were carried by Gershom, by the Kohathites, I mean, carrying the holy things. And listen, look at what it says right here in your Bible. The tabernacle would be, pre- be prepared for their arrival. So you see in this long procession, all the articles of the tabernacle, this temporary dwelling, went ahead of them. So by the time they came there with the articles of the holy place, the tabernacle was already set up, and they could just place them in their spot. God does everything perfect, decently, and within, in, in order. Verse 25. Then the standard of the camp of the children of Dan, the rear guard of the camps, set out. Now, what's interesting, here you have Dan. They're giving this responsibility, given this responsibility to be the rear guard, one of the most important ways of protecting the children of Israel. 
And yet it was Dan that was the first tribe to reject their inheritance from the Lord because they wanted to find this land in the north. And so they rejected their inheritance and they moved the whole tribe of Dan to the top part of the northern kingdom. And because it was so long and they didn't want all the people coming back to Jerusalem, they set up their own gods. And they were the first to set up idolatrous worship against Almighty God. So it's a lesson. Even though you might have a great calling from the Lord, keep that calling. Make your calling and election sure. Walk strong with the Lord. And he'll never forsake you. Go down to verse 29. Now Moses said to Habab, the son of Raul, the Midianite, Moses' father-in-law, we are setting out for the place which the Lord said, I will give to you. Come with us and we will treat you well. For the Lord has promised things to Israel, great things to Israel, good things to Israel. And he said to him, I will not go. In other words, this was, um, Hobab was saying, I, I don't want to go. I want to go back to my own land. I will depart to my own land and to my relatives. So Moses said, please do not leave inasmuch as you know how we are to camp in the wilderness and you can be our eyes. And we're, we're going to talk about that in a moment. It's very important why Moses was encouraging Hobab to go with him. And it shall be, if you go with us, indeed it shall be, that whatever good the Lord will do to us, the same we will do to you. And we're going to find out in a moment that's exactly what did happen. Verse 33. So they departed from the mountain of the Lord on a journey for three days. And the ark of the covenant of the Lord went before them for the three days journey to search out a resting place for them. And the cloud of the Lord was above them by day when they went, from, when they went out from the camp. So it was whenever the ark set out, listen, that Moses said, Rise up, O Lord, let your enemies be scattered, and let those who hate you flee before you. And when it rested, Moses, he said, Return, O Lord, to the many thousands of Israel. Wow. At this point, the children of Israel received their first order from God to depart from the camp and to move towards the promised land. It was only three miles that they went, but it was three miles closer, closer to the promised land. And when God calls us to rise up and to follow him, we might only go three miles, but it's three miles closer to the promised land. Did you know you and I have a promised land? Every one of us. It's called heaven. It's not a figment of someone's imagination. It's not some religious expression. It is a place. It tells us in Scripture that God inhabits eternity. And where are we going to be with God in eternity? We call that heaven. Where nothing, nothing of this life, as far as the sin and pride and, and just the evilness of this life, will find its place in heaven. And you and I will be made perfect when we get there. How awesome is that? And so we're on that journey as well. Now, they were at the base of Mount Sinai for nearly a year after their, uh, their encampment. And when he asked them to leave, which was the 20th day of the second month, 
It was after they had celebrated their second Passover. Remember last week we talked about the Passover? And why the 20th day of the second month? Because if, if you recall from last week, there were, there were those who had defiled themselves, either by touching a dead body or some other form of sin. They had defiled themselves, and they were not able to partake in the, the, you know, the, the Passover, which was the first month of the year. They couldn't partake of it. And so they went to Moses and said, you know, we, we don't want to be excluded because we accidentally touched a dead body or a relative died in our presence. What, what are we going to do? And so Moses went to the Lord and he said, tell them they can celebrate the Passover on the, in the second month on the 14th day. And they left the 20th day so that those who were clean and those who were unclean were able to celebrate the Passover of the Lord before they left. Do you see God's mercy in that? I mean, if he said, hey, we're going to go right after the Passover, all those guys would have been left behind. The Lord doesn't want anyone to be left behind. The Lord wants every one of us to repent. They came to Moses and they repented. And Moses went before God and another day was set aside that they might partake in the Passover. And then it was six days after that that they actually left. God is so great. Everything he does is so perfect. Now, we must keep in mind that this encampment that we're talking about here, listen, was over 2 million people. Well, it wasn't that many. Yeah, it was. If you go through and you list all the, the 12 tribes of Israel and how many fighting men there were and so forth, we're going to find in the next chapter it talks about the fact that there were 600,000 fighting men in Israel. Well, there's a certain age limit. You know, 20 to, uh, to uh, 50, 55 I think it is. So you had men younger than that, men older than that, that weren't counted in that 600,000. The women weren't counted in that 600,000. The children weren't counted in that 600,000. So to say there were 2 million people, that's a very, very, very conservative number. Have you ever thought of, of just the, the difficulty Two million people camping. Have you ever gone camping with your family? I don't know if you ever have. We, we, we don't anymore. <laughs> but when we used to go camping with our family, you know. Ah. Now, can you imagine if you said, hey, we're going to go to a campground where there's two million people. And our tents are going to be right next to one another. Yeah, I don't want that. But you had two, two, two million people camping in the desert. So many things. I mean, Israel had a lot of sanitary rules and regulations. I mean, how does that carry it out? I don't even want to think about it. But they camped because God called them to camp there. And now it was time for them to get up and move towards the promised land. They received their first order from God. It was only three miles, but it was a start. Now, as I said, um, we must keep in mind that this encampment was huge, okay? Keep that in mind. And so when they had the specific order to get up and leave to take this march, in fact, I love what it says in 1 Corinthians 14.40. It says, let all things be done decently in order. So when they received this order from God, and the cloud lifted up, and the Lord spoke to Moses, rise up, O Israel, and, and go forth, the thing that's beautiful is everything was done in order. How was that done, that many people? Well, Pastor Frank talked about the trumpets this morning, which is the first part of chapter 14. 
And I agree with him. I think there was some kind of supernatural trumpet. You know, that trumpet was blown. Well, here's what you have to understand. The column of Israel, it's not like we saw in the Ten Commandments, okay? The column of Israel would have been about 195 miles long. We don't think of that. We think of like a little gathering. It was huge, 2 million people in a column. It was about 195 miles long. You have to realize they're carrying their tents. They're carrying all their utensils. They're carrying everything they needed. And so if you just took four square feet, and it'd be more than that, but if you just took that, it's 195 miles long. You also have to realize that the glory of God, which shone over the Ark of the Covenant, was a pillar of, of cloud by day and fire by night. I don't think that pillar of cloud was just like 20 feet above the tabernacle. I think it went up into the stratosphere. Because you have to understand, there's the curvature of the earth. If you're standing on flat ground, you can't even see more than a half mile because of the curvature of the earth. Right? So how could they see it? I think it went up to the stratosphere. You know, how, how, how is it that I can stand here out in my backyard in Syracuse and someone else can stand out in their backyard in Virginia and look at the same moon as me because of how high it is? I think that cloud was way up there. And so the trumpet sounded and that cloud started moving and the children of Israel knew. And they were prepared. They lived in temporary dwellings. They packed up and they started their journey. Now, the, the order that is given here, if you take notes, you might want to write this down. This is the order that we read about in this portion of Scripture. First was Judah, then Issachar, then Zebulun, and then the Gershonites and Mariites. They carried the tabernacle, and then Reuben, then Simeon, then Gab, Gad, then the Kershites, uh, which carried the sanctuary uh, materials. And then Ephraim, then Manasseh, then Benjamin, then Dan, then Asher. That was the order in which they left. God had an order. And then Nephtali. We don't want to forget Nephtali. God had an order for these people to go out. And we're not talking about a small group. We're talking about 2 million people. We're talking about, did I say 195 miles long? It's 295 miles long, this column would have been. And it would have been, if you were walking 40 miles a day between the first group and the last group, you probably were talking about uh, two weeks in order for them to finally catch up with one another. Well, how could they all get up and leave at once then? Well, Pastor Frank talked about it. This trumpet. They were ready. They knew the orders of God. This trumpet sounded, and somehow everyone heard it, and of course everyone could see the pillar of cloud moving. And they were ready. They packed up. They didn't need days to get ready. They were ready. Now, it talks about Hobad, the son of Reuel, who was uh, Moses' father-in-law. Right? Well, a lot of people say, well, how is Reuel, Moses' father-in-law? I thought his father-in-law's name was Jethro. Jethro was priest of the Midianites. Jethro was a title. His name was Reuel, Jethro Reuel, just like you might say Pastor Frank. And so a lot of people, when they read that, they get confused. Well, wait, where's Jethro? That is Jethro. It's the same person, his father-in-law. Now, um, Moses' brother-in-law was with him then during this time in the wilderness. 
And at this point, he wanted to go back to Midian. And Moses talked him out of it. And why did he talk him out of it? He said, we need you to be your eyes. You know why? Because um, Hobab lived in the desert his whole life. He knew where to camp. He knew how to camp. He knew how to find water, where the water was. He knew everything that they needed to know for desert journey, for a desert journey. That's why Moses wanted him to go along. And Moses said to him, our God is going to give us exceedingly great land. Come with us and we'll share it with you. Well, a lot of people might not realize that it was shared with Hobab. In Judges, if you take notes, and remember, Hobab's family wasn't just, oh, it was the average family of four. No, no, no. It would have been like one of the tribes. It was his whole family that was with him, his servants and all of his sheep and cattle and everything else. He had a huge group. In Judges 116, and in Judges 411, we find Hobab's family were given land among the tribes of Judah when they settled in the promised land and received equal status. Received equal status. What we learn from this is that God invites others to come along with us in our walk with the Lord. And sometimes those God brings into our life are those that can help us, those that can guide us, those that can encourage us in the Lord. How many times in our fellowship has the Lord brought someone in that was so helpful and encouraging and became part of our family? Because we're all one in Christ. God's family isn't divided. You understand that? It's not divided. We are the church. We're a particular part of the church as a body is made up of many parts, right? And so we're part of the church, but the church of Jesus Christ are all believers, all who have committed their life to Jesus Christ and have accepted his free gift of salvation and have been washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. There's no stain on any one of you or me that can't be completely washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. Completely washed clean. It's such a wonderful thing with Jesus Christ that you can have a new beginning, a new start, a new day. How many times have you sat at the end of the day and said, oh, you know, you're just contemplating, you know, as, as Pastor Frank calls it, you know, all this self-loathing, you're contemplating how fall, far short you fall, and why don't I do this, why don't I? Uh. And then the next day, it's a new day. His mercies are new every morning. And the next day, you're walking in his grace once again. And you're filled with his love. It's just absolutely amazing. God is so good. God is so great. Now, what we learn from this is that God desires us to bring others along with us. To become part of our family. To be brought into our fellowship or to be brought into other fellowships. But to become part of the family of God. And this is what we call evangelism. God has given every one of us the work of evangelism. There are some that he calls to be evangelists, where it seems to be their lifetime work, but every one of us are called to evangelism. You know, we have a group of people that go downtown in Syracuse every Friday night. Their only purpose for going down there is to share Christ. That's called evangelism. So every Friday night, when you think of it, you should be praying for them. 
that the Lord strengthens them, gives them the words to speak, and the people would be saved. It's an amazing thing. Now, the Lord's way of showing his personal involvement in our lives is to lead us and to encourage us and to direct us. We all have different jobs. Not everyone's called to this job. Not everyone's called to that job. But we're all called to serve and we're all called to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. It's it's an amazing thing to be his. Now, um, notice, whenever the ark was moved, Moses would say, Rise up, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered. And when it it was time to rest again, Moses would would say, "Return, Return, O Lord, to the many thousands of Israel. So Moses offered a prayer both at their commencement when they started off and also when they ended their journey for the day or whenever it was. Now David offered the same prayer. Did you know that? If you take notes in Psalm 68 verse 1, 68 verse 1, and David is speaking, he says, Let God arise, let his enemies be scattered. Let those also who hate him flee before him. It's amazing. Another time that we have Moses talking about the need of the Lord leading, we find it in Exodus chapter 33. If you want to go back there, I'm going to read verses 15 and 16. Exodus 33, verses 15 and 16. Starting with verse 15 of Exodus 33. Then he said to him, God speaking to Moses, or Moses speaking to God, If your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, listen, except you go with us. And so when they moved, the grace of God went with them. We have to understand, this was one of the, in Exodus right here, is one of the first times that it talks about God's grace going before them. It talked about God's grace as far as forgiveness and so forth, but going before them. And it's so important for us to understand that God's grace has to go before us. God's grace is upon us, and God's grace goes before us because we're going to be walking with the Lord and fall into a pothole. We're going to be walking with the Lord and fall into a, a you know, some kind of pile of dirt or, or a, a mud hole or whatever. And God's grace has to be there in our walk that we can be continually washed clean. You know, his cleanliness is brought to us very simply by confession. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. Just cry out, forgive me, Jesus. His grace, Moses said, if your grace doesn't go before us, then don't even move us from this place because we're going to mess up. And then we're going to be a bad name for the Lord. But let your grace go before us so that when we do fall, we can get picked back up and follow you. Now, God's grace was with them. It rose up as a pillar of cloud by day. Now understand that this pillar not only led them, but gave them shade in the hot desert. And then when they rested at night, the pillar of cloud became a pillar of fire, which gave them light and warmth. God's grace followed them everywhere they went. And God's grace will still 
be a pillar of cloud for you by day when you need shade, when you need direction, and also a pillar of fire by night to give you illumination and to give you the warmth of the Spirit. God's amazing. He's absolutely amazing. Now, God's timing, as we mentioned, we mentioned this earlier, is so perfect that they were able to get there and set up the tabernacle before the articles of the tabernacle arrived. Isn't that amazing? God is amazing. In the same way, we are led by the Lord to follow His Spirit as we also travel through the wilderness of this life. I don't know how many of you think about this at all, but this life's the wilderness. In this world, you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, Jesus said, I've overcome the world. I don't know if you've been paying attention or realize it, but this world is falling apart. It is unraveling like an old ball. In fact, we're told that in Scripture. That's what would happen to the world. It's just unraveling. Everything around us is so amazing. Things that we're seeing happening. It's absolutely amazing. And yet, so many Christians are more involved in politics than they are in their walk with the Lord. I'm not saying as human beings and in our human nature we don't have political views. In this, and I have definite political views. But the fact is that doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is my walk with the Lord. The only thing that matters is whose I am. My citizenship is in heaven. That's what Scripture says. It's not what I'm saying. Well, you know, my, my citizenship is in heaven. I belong to God. His ways are higher than our ways, and his calling is higher than any of the callings on this earth. I served in the army, and I was proud to serve in the army. But you want to know something? I belong to Jesus. I'm part of the army of God. This is the greatest army to be part of. In fact, I'm special forces. <laughs> Just joking. But you understand what I'm saying. The stronger we are with the Lord, the more effective we are in serving him. And that's why we need to really be in the word of God. Now, all of us would agree with this. Uh, this life brings many challenges. Have you ever noticed that? This life <laughs> brings many challenges. It really, really does. And even hardship. But if we follow the Lord, we're still heading in the right direction. You know, I don't know about you, but uh, sometimes when you get older, you start realizing, I'm really getting older. <laughs> and... Uh, Vi and I like to, when the weather's nice enough, we don't have ice and stuff on the driveway. One of the things we like to do before we go to bed at night, we, we take a walk. And we start at our, our house, and we walk out to the end of the road here, the end of the driveway, you know, where the sign is, and we walk back. Three lanes is a mile. I measured it in my car. And we would take this walk, be our evening walk. Well, we had to start taking flashlights with us when we walked at night. You know why? There are potholes in our blacktop here. And when you get older, it's different. Like if you're a young person, you walk along, you step in a pothole, and you go... When you're an old person, you step in a pothole, and say, oh, help me up. <laughs> oh, my knee just twisted the wrong way. You know. So the point is, life has potholes for every one of us. There's none of us that, well, you know, from the moment I got saved, everything's been wonderful. I've never had a difficulty in my life. Everything's been perfect. The only problem I have is lying. You understand the point I'm making. Life is difficult. Life is full of potholes. 
but the Lord will illuminate our path. He's a light unto our path, a lamp to our feet. Scripture tells us this. Because here's the thing we have to understand, brothers and sisters. The obvious. We are not a body. This body functions through mechanics. You know, biomechanics. I mean, this body gets old. It doesn't regenerate as quickly as it did when we were young. You know what I'm saying? Any of you who are getting a little bit older, you know that probably, you know, you talk about bad dreams. You know that one of the most horrifying experiences that there is in this life when you get old is getting out of the bathtub and seeing yourself in the mirror. It's like, oh, yeah, who's that? I mean, where's, where's me? Where's the old, you know, who's that? But the reality is, though outwardly, we're growing old. What does Scripture say? Inwardly, we're being renewed. Because who we are is soul and spirit. And one day, this body's going to be discarded, either in death or the rapture. In death, this body's discarded, and we go to be with the Lord, soul and spirit. If the rapture comes, this body's going to be discarded, and we're going to be given a glorified body. The dead in Christ will rise first. They'll receive their glorified body, and together we'll meet the Lord in the air, and there we shall be with him forevermore. That's the promise. That's the hope we have. It's not in this life. And yet, so often, we make everything in this life about this life. But life is not about this life. We have a promised land. It's called heaven. We have a journey that we're taking to get to that promised land. Some will get there faster than others, but we're on that journey. Those who die before us as believers and those who die as children are with the Lord right now, experiencing all the glories of heaven. We just haven't arrived yet. So we have to realize that God has laid out a path, a walk for us. Just like he called the children of Israel to journey towards their promised land, he's called you and I as believers to journey towards our promised land. And as we take that journey, we have to walk in faith. We have to walk by the grace of God because of our stumbling and falling. But we also need to walk by the love of God, grabbing a hold of anyone we can to say, come on with us. It's a free gift. If you've never read Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan, I encourage you to get the new uh, English version because the original version is such old English you wouldn't... Some of these words don't even exist. They don't use them anymore. But read Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. He was in jail in London, in the Tower of London, for his faith when he wrote Pilgrim's Progress. Read it. It's an allegory. It's really good. Another one is Hind's Feet in High Places by Hannah Hernard. Another allegory. Beautiful account of our walk with the Lord until we, we reach the promised land. Read those. Great books. Old books. I've read them many, many times. Because we have to understand that no matter how difficult the times become, no matter how difficult the road might seem, no matter how steep it might seem to climb up, Jesus is right with us. Did you ever see that poem... Footprints in the sand usually just has two has footprints in the sand, and the poem. I'm, I'm I don't know the poem. I'm just going to tell you the meaning of it. Whoever wrote the poem was saying, 
gee, Lord, I always see two footprints. I always see your footprints walking with me. But it seems whenever times get difficult, all I see is one set of footprints. Why did you leave me? And the Lord said, there's one set of footprints, not because I left you, because that's when I was carrying you. Wow. That's the God, the God that we serve. What a precious God we serve. And you know, we're going to come to that place when we get up and take our final journey to the promised land of heaven. And we have to travel that part alone. Our spouse can't come with us. Our family can't come with us. Your pastor can't come with you. You travel that alone with God, being led by the Holy Spirit. And you cross over euphemistically the Jordan into the promised land of heaven. So we need to be prepared because one day it's going to come time for each one of us to make that final journey alone with the Lord and leave behind all the worries and all the just stuff of this world and enter into the promised land. And the wonderful thing is, you want to know why we should be evangelists, especially with those we love? So they'll be there with us. Scripture tells us that in heaven we shall know and be known. In other words, your self-identity as an individual is never lost. When you're in heaven, you're not going to be like, Oh, who am I? Where am I? Who am I? You're going to be, Hey, I'm Frank, and I'm in heaven, and there's Jesus. Hallelujah! And I don't care who else is around me. Hallelujah! And knowing one day that all those who love Jesus will follow behind me. And if the rapture comes, we're all going to go together. Isn't that amazing? I mean, do you understand that who we are, our soul and spirit, is immaterial? This body is a biologic... You know, everybody is all concerned about the coronavirus. It's a, uh, it's a real thing. Corona is Spanish for crown, and the, the virus has like crown-like ends on it. But anyway, everybody's worried about the coronavirus. But you want to know something? That affects the body. If you're saved, it's not going to kill you spiritually you're still going to be with the Lord. So with all the dangers and fears and problems we have in this world, understand there's eternal life with Jesus Christ. And it's free to anyone who calls upon his name. You know why? God is love. God is love. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we thank you for this portion of Scripture, for the encouragement that it brings to our heart. And I pray, Lord, that we would make this journey in faith as we follow you, knowing you are the way, you are the truth, you are life. And help us, Father, to always keep that at the very front of our thinking and of our being. I pray in Jesus, Yeshua's name, amen and amen. God bless you, my friends.